On this episode, Harris and I are trying something a little different. We're chatting with David Ray and Chris Williamson from Cyber City Circuits, who have recently set up a contract manufacturing service to supplement their electronics and kit distribution business. They're in the early stages of getting the word out about this service and asked us for some help in marketing it. This episode is something like a live consultation where we brainstorm ideas to help Cyber City Circuits get new customers. Please let us know what you think of this kind of format on Twitter at HelloBlinkShow or in the comments section of the show notes. Let's jump in. Welcome to the practical podcast for technical people who want to start their own company. From founding to building your business, we're here to help. I'm Sean Hemel. And I'm Harris Kenny. This is the Hello Blink Show. Chris and David, thank you guys for being on the show so much. We're happy to have you here. You guys run Cyber City Circuits out of Augusta, Georgia. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Like, what does this business do? What do you guys serve? What do you like? What are y'all doing? So uh, Cyber City Circuits started where Chris and I both had our own uh, electronics driven companies. And we both wanted to get uh, production equipment. We both wanted to get pick and place machines and ovens and stuff. And we ran into each other. We worked in the same circles and we decided that there was no reason to have two production equi- uh, production lines in Augusta. And so we decided to get together and just make one, uh, which worked out really good. Um, and then from there, we started an online retail component where we sell uh, stuff. We, we were selling stuff through Tendi and we realized that if we just did our own brand, uh, we could probably get a little bit more reach overall on uh, different services we offer, including like design services and manufacturing and things like that. So we went in that direction. Um, and so we started it, we started the collaboration between us January 1st, um, officially. And uh, we've been running since then. Nice. So right now, what, how, how are you guys pulling in revenue? What's your biggest driver for revenue right now? Because y'all do subscription boxes. You've got kind of a storefront where you're selling. Um, it's Is it your designs or are you selling other people's designs? Well, both. So we have our own designs, uh, but we also uh, work with other designers uh, and makers to put their stuff in our store also. And that gives them uh, a lot of access to our contract manufacturing side and our fulfillment side. And it releases a lot of headaches that they experience. What a lot of people sell on Tendi and they have successful products on Tendi, but they also work full-time jobs. Mm, right. and, and it's super hard. Uh, I know from experience, it's super hard to work a full-time job. You might be working 40 or 60 hours and then managing an e-commerce site. It's really, really difficult. So we essentially quit our jobs to manage an e- e-commerce site. Um, and then... Uh, yeah, I would say the bulk of it really comes from the contract manufacturing side. Right. Uh, it's what we really try to push. You know, we're looking for small businesses, small startups, uh, even maker market. You know, if you've got a viable product that you want to bring to market, that's the kind of people that we want to work with. We want to help you get to that level and then be able to help you do fulfillment if you need it as well. Right. Got got it. So you guys are... Um not just trying to be like like a, a Tindy where people can sell stuff, but you do fulfillment because Tindy doesn't do that. You provide the storefront, which is great. And now you're trying to get into contract manufacturing, which is what like Seed Propagate was for a while. And I don't see many too, I don't see too many places that 
offer this for small businesses, hobbyists, and whatnot, because that's something I struggled with too, right? The tooling cost is so high for CMs. Is that about right? Right. Yes. Right. Okay. Uh, so with, with some makers, we, we have a set of criteria uh, that we, we uh, vet makers with. And then with some makers, we will do their uh, contract manufacturing. We'll uh, test it. We'll inventory it here. And then we'll ship it out uh, through our store. And then that allows other people to see uh, other people's products and buy them all at the same time. Uh, we do that based on uh, sales. So like we don't with, with those makers that we work with, we don't ask for any money up front. We just take a percentage of the sales. That makes perfect sense. So, okay, let, let's, we're talking broad, broad strokes here, broad brush here, which is good. So I, so I'm a, I'm a maker, right? I've yeah. got, we can use like, uh, you know, I know you work guys who work with Arturo, uh, 182. He's got the Serpente board. I think that's like a good example we can use. It's certified open hardware. Uh, it's a really neat little circuit Python prototyping board. So, you know, you develop a board, a product, you have a hardware idea, you, you test it out. It works. You post about it online. Maybe you certify it in, in, as open hardware. You post it on GitHub and people are interested. Then the, the next challenge overall that you guys are solving for people is logistics. Right. Basically. Right? right. It's like zero to one, an engineer has to get there generally on their own. Now, I'm sure if some big company contacted you, uh, you know, you guys are in Georgia, I'm sure if like Coca Cola called you and said, hey, we want you to help design us some custom electronics for, you know, this promotional thing we're doing. And, you know, it's a million dollar budget. I'm sure you'd find a way. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But in general, for what we're talking about today, it's an indie maker makes the board, they've got some traction, maybe they sink some sales on Tindy and they want to level up the business side, but they don't have the time. What else is hard about this? Tell us about shipping. I, I feel like that's something that I hear time and time again that people don't understand. Why is shipping hard? Why is it hard to fulfill orders for an independent maker? Because people go to the post office, maybe they buy stamps, they think it's straightforward. Why is that a thing that you talk about is valuable? So... It's funny that you bring that up because we just had a, a big shipping problem this week. Uh, so each month we, we have a subscription boxes, $12 free shipping. We design a new soldering kit each month, and it comes with documentation and a, a video tutorial to walk you through how to build it. And it's just $12 free shipping within the U.S. And uh, right now we have about 80 subscribers. So once a month we ship out 80 boxes. In one day. In one day. And so this month we decided to try – bulk shipping where you, you, you package all the boxes together and you give it to the post office and then they figure it out down the road and it makes it a lot quicker. Uh, before we would show up with 60 packages and then they would have to weigh each one and scan each one. They, are, they already have labels because we have the label printer, but we have to uh, get them all scanned into the system. But this time we tried the bulk packaging and it took over 48 hours for any of them to show up scanned which was kind of anxiety driven, right? Because we just built 80 packages and we just shipped them out. We don't have the parts to build more on hand or to build 80 more on hand. Uh, and if all those are lost, what do we do? <laughs> uh, but it turns out that they, they aren't lost. They're just being really, really slow. Um, but so that's the kind of thing that you learn with experience. Uh, just, I mean, you can't just, you want to make a quality product and the package that you're shipping it in is the first thing that people see of quality, right? So we made cu uh, custom boxes that your, your listeners can't see, but 
we have uh, full printed colored boxes and then we uh, pack them, we put a label on them, and we ship them. Um, and so it makes it really easy that way. Uh, but then warehousing all the parts, warehousing all the stuff, procuring all the stuff, that makes it really difficult and it's very time consuming. And I think from a standpoint too, as an individual that is trying to, you know, ship a hundred packages a month or something like right. that, they don't realize the, the cost that's actually involved. Uh, you have to go buy the box. You have to go buy all the packing supplies. You have to package your item carefully uh, so that it doesn't get broken. Uh, and then what happens if it does get lost in the mail? Now you're dealing with an angry customer and you're dealing with post office. Um, so you're trying to go back back and forth. It's just a time saver, uh, you know, to kind of lend that off and, and go with somebody else. Right. Um, so it's it sounds like you guys are trying to deal with the issues that somebody who wants to ship their own stuff would deal with, right? Like if I'm trying to sell stuff out of my house for Tindy, I would be running into the same kind of issues, right? It would take a lot of time to deal with packaging, shipping, all this stuff. Um, and you guys are doing that. It seems like the unfortunate downside of that is if you're spending a lot of time doing that, it leaves you very little time to work on some of the stuff we want to get into in this episode, which is how do you market? How do you, you know, do customer uh, uh, CRM, customer relations? Right. Oh my goodness, Harris. Customer relations management. Am I getting that right? <laughs> Harris, Harris is going to kill me. Um, so yeah, it, it leaves you very little time to do that. So it sounds like you guys also need to figure out how you can either automate or get this process to take as little time as possible so that you can open up capacity for being able to work on some of these other things. Because, you know, when we say like, oh, you've got to set up CRM, you've got to start writing blog posts, you got to get on social media, all of these are very time consuming efforts that are necessary to grow your business. But if you're spending all your time packaging and managing that, you know, you don't have time to work on this other stuff. You don't have time to work on the growth side. So it's either do you fight fires in your day-to-day -day life or do you grow stuff and try to, you know, try these new marketing things? Um, so I think the first step is trying to find the balance. And it sounds like you guys are doing that, working on trying to find a balance to open up opportunity for you guys to do that. Like, because you need the time. That's going to be super important as well. Well, another thing people don't consider, now I love Tindy. I love everything about it. You're not going to hear me say anything bad about it, but they do not do you any favors when it comes to fulfillment. You cannot no. print a label from their site. You cannot uh, do any, you can't get shipping through their site at all. You have to find a third party to even get a label uh, where with our store, we use Shopify with our store. Uh, we can pull up the order. We can print the label right there. We can check the weights right there. We can do everything right there. So we get an order. We can put it in a box. We can hit the button. It prints the label. We put the label on the boxes at the post office. Yeah, so we've automated as much as we can on that side uh, to try to free up that time right. so that we can look at these other avenues uh, for marketing and blog posting and videos. Uh, and, and by having more you know, supply come in to where we're doing a lot of shipping since we've already kind of got that automation side right. figured out, we're, we've already been able to free up. So what that does is it allows us to pay our bills because we're, we've got product coming in that we can ship back out for people. Um, and paying our bills gives us that extra free time to, to work on these other things, you know, that we really need to be doing at the same time. Right. Because the store itself, I know it kind of sounds counterintuitive, but the store itself doesn't make a lot of money. Uh, it makes enough to cover the rent on the office. We have uh, a, another employee. It makes enough to cover her wages. Uh, it makes enough to cover the internet and the electric for the office. But that's about it. 
So the only way that Chris and I get paid is through contract manufacturing for other customers the where they pay where they do pay up front and we manufacture it and we ship it back to them uh that uh outside of working with makers to do their manufacturing and do their fulfillment and stuff that's great and we want to do that we want to uh, participate in the community by doing that but uh the only way that we get to pay our bills is through the contract manufacturing the way to our personal bills does that make sense yeah so uh so we we need to find uh, we like to find a way to find more contract manufacturing customers. And we also want to connect with uh, small startups that have like bespoke manufacturing. So um, an example would be like a record player. So there's this uh, company in Southern California that makes custom record players. And they're nice. They're fancy. They have like vinyl wraps and they're different colors and things like that. And a record player has electronics in it. It has a preamp. It has... Uh, tuning knobs and stuff like that, right? Well, we can manufacture that uh, electronic component for their bigger assembly and ship it out to them. We can brand it for them. We can put their brand all over it. Uh, we can even add other features. So we can work with them. Let's say they want to take their record player and add Bluetooth to it, right? So they can hook, connect it directly to a Bluetooth speaker. We can add that functionality to their device. Yeah. I mean, and I also see you guys as being useful for like, you know, badge life or, or, you know, when I run right. a workshop and I need 30 boards produced because anytime I look at assembly houses and get quotes from them for 30 boards, they're like, ha ha ha, a thousand dollars for tooling. Right. I'm like, what the hell? I mean, so that's, I know I got a little oven and I did it myself and it took like an entire weekend to make 30 boards because I have to tool up myself. Um, so like, that's kind of where I see you guys fit it, fitting this niche. Like you said, like these bespoke type places, you know, uh, people like me where I want to make boards for a workshop, the whole badge life thing, um, super useful. So it comes down to how do we, how do you guys get new customers, right? That's right. what you're looking for. You want to, you want to have people realize that you're out there, that you can help all these other individuals, um, for this. And you mentioned a couple of things here. And I believe last time we talked, we went into it a little bit. Do you see yourself as more, let's do, you know, B2C, your business to, to consumer, where like, I want to teach a workshop, so I need to build 30 boards, and I call up David and Chris at Cyber City Circuits and say, hey, can you guys help me build 30 boards? Or do you see your guys as more B2B, where you have, say, um, you know, your bespoke record player company, like going, oh, we need to produce 30 boards so we can sell these items, and they're going to, you know, they put you as part of their manufacturing chain, Right. Um, so that's more B2B. It's two different types of customers. Um, I, I would say that it's hard to, it, you can do both depending on how you position yourself. But I think for the sake of our conversation, um, and you don't necessarily have to pick one today, it's going to be easier to focus on one when it comes to creating marketing material. And Harris may have a different perspective when it comes to creating a sales pipeline, um, but I believe it is different when you're try, trying to set up a CRM. Harris, can you talk to that for a bit? Like when you choose between B2C and B2B, how does that affect your sales pipeline? Yeah. And really, a lot of times businesses are going to have multiple pipelines, right? And, and, and that I think is the case here where you're going to have a specific pipeline and really, it'll be probably thought of as like more of a funnel where you've got your e-commerce, your consumer transactions, your subscription boxes, conversion rates on you know website visits and email subscribers. And that's sort of that's one set of metrics for the business. And then you really have this separate set of metrics for the 
B2B side. Now there may be some overlapping. It's possible that someone is buying products through your site and they may be a maker and then want to do something else, you know, um, but the, the sales cycle between these two halves of the business is going to be very different. I think in general, it's a good thing to have them both because they counterbalance each other and there's going to be different waves when different parts of the business are busy. But I do think that they need to be thought of as separate. And from a bookkeeping perspective, in terms of like tracking, literally tracking the numbers, I think that'll be different too. I'm curious, how do you all think about the, you don't have to share, well, you can share however much you want, uh, whether you you want to share revenue numbers or just like amount of time that you're spending on these two different parts of the business, it seems like your focus for growing after putting a pretty decent amount of time into the consumer side, it seems like now you're shifting your energy to the business B2B side where the next stage of growth is going to come from. Right. So yeah, we're pretty satisfied with how the, the e-commerce to B2C uh, part is going Um, and it, it has growth and it will continue to grow. And the great thing about that is, like you said, we because we have two different revenue streams, the office is always paid for. We can always pay our rent. We can always pay our electric bill. We don't have to worry about that. Um, we just can't pay ourselves. Uh, um, and a lot of that is already automated. You know, our, our yes. e-commerce, we, we went through the trouble over the last few months to make that as automated as possible. So make those transactions where it doesn't take much time from us at all. Um, you know, we, we've got an employee now that, that helps do all the packaging on that side that helps, you know, get shipments out the door so that we can focus on that. So it's allowed us to grow and add one person to the team, you know, in another couple of months, will that it may grow some more so we, we can have a second person on that side of the team. And then exactly what you're saying, you know, it is almost two separate businesses. Yes. Um, the business to business side definitely pays bills. I mean, it, it pays those are bigger numbers that we talk about versus the e-commerce side. Um, and obviously everybody wants bigger numbers. <laughs> um, but uh, does that answer your question? Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's, that's super helpful positioning. Go ahead, Sean. So I, I mean, I do, I do have another question and that is um, who do you, you've, you've gotten some traction with CM so far, right? Like you've had a few CM, where have those come from? Because where your where your customers are coming from now is sometimes and a lot of times a really good indication of like this is a good avenue for being able to grow my recognition. So when we started, uh, so him uh, Chris and I have been in the making community for a long time, uh, and we both have a, a fairly extensive network when it comes to that uh, personal network with other people. So we really took advantage of that to find uh, a lot of CM work up front. Um, and then, and we had some success. I would say we probably had about 10 good jobs so far. And, um, but we kind of burned out that network. Right. So like, uh, everyone that needed CM work done has, has sent it to us and we fulfilled it. And now we're just trying to, we need to reach out to find more people that we don't know. So like we need a a sales manager, someone that will cold call different uh, companies, different manufacturers and say, Hey, I'd like to talk to you about saving money on your manufacturing. Uh, One thing I will say is that when we, we have done that, I've done that myself. And it seems about half the quotes we send out, uh, go through. So like we, if we build a quote for somebody and it might not be immediate, right? 
But if we build a quote for somebody sometime in the next three months, they're going to want to go through with that quote, 50%, half of them. Um, and we focus on being less expensive than the competition. We're a bit more nimble than the competition. Um, and, and we out, try to offer services that the competition either won't offer or they charge extra fees to offer it. So, for example, um, everything we do is lead free by default. We don't we don't use leaded solder or anything. Every board we get is lead free. Um, it's where the competition will charge extra to even make that possible. Another thing we do is we make a, a huge effort to test everything we manufacture. So, for example, Sean, if you want us to make 100 of your bo uh, boards, all 100 of those will be tested. So when you get those, they will work. Uh, I've worked with overseas manufacturers. Chris has too, where uh, you might get a hundred boards and an LED might be backwards, and you don't. And it's going if it's backwards on one. Guess what? It's backwards on all one hundred. So you have to rework all one hundred boards, and you get to the point where you realize, well, if I have to rework all these boards, I should have just built them myself on my table, right? And um, we don't want that. We want if you buy a product. We want it to work. So we could make a huge effort to run a test procedure that the customer would provide us on every single board. That way you get a board, you know it works. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's, that's all good, but I want, to, I want us to take a step back here and focus on sure. um, that process of how you got those initial customers, right? Because what, you, what okay. you described was, was a marketing pipeline. Um, right. you, you built a network. However, many years ago, right, in the maker community before you were running the CM business. So you had this network. You had people who knew you. They liked talking to you. You liked talking to them. And at some point, you were like, hey, do you guys need CM work? And they were like, yeah, actually, I do. So you moved somebody. If you can envision this, this pipeline, right? Right. At some point, you made these contacts. You networked with these people and you made these contacts. And then you moved them down into that sales process. And I would say a one-half conversion rate of the people you asked is really, really good. Right. Um, I don't know if Harris has any other thoughts on like a half conversion rate, but that seems really good in my mind. Yeah, those are that's very good. Those are, those are very strong conversion rates. So I think the challenge, um, the challenge is, so what are the shared characteristics of the people for whom you've done that work that you can use to be more efficient. So, you know, you can't as a small business, typically, at least in projects that I've worked on with smaller companies, they, they tend to be hesitant to hire new people because hiring people is very expensive. Uh, it's obviously not just their salary, but it's also the overhead of benefits and time. And the fact that reducing cost on the personnel side is very disruptive. It's disruptive for the company. It's disruptive for the person. It's not like cutting costs in other, other ways. Um, so people are slow to hire. Even if you're reasonably confident that you can get your money back, if you're bootstrapping the business, you're still going to be slow to hire. And so, you know, generally what I recommend is carving out um, a portion of your day where you're doing a, like a, a sales motion, just like you would have an employee do. So, you know, you're using all of the tools that an employee would use. Um, and maybe you can hire a contractor to do this. I've personally helped clients do this before, but you, you don't need me. I'm not magical, um, you know, to do it. Other people can do it too. But, you know, you want to figure out what is the like tech stack that that employee is going to need? What tools are they going to use? Because they're not going to be able to close like you can close. 
if you bring in someone to help, eventually they're going to be, they're going to need new tools. They're not going to have that like, you know, quote unquote Rolodex of connections and relationships and things like that. So you'll need to find like, okay, you need a tool that's going to help you identify new, new prospects. What are the search terms that you're going to use to find those new prospects? How are you going to reach out to them? What's the like subject lines that you're going to use? And so carving out a certain number of hours in a day or in a week where you're pretending like you're your own salesperson without all the like superpowers and and shortcuts and secrets that you have as the business owner that can increase your confidence in the likelihood of being able to bring on someone to help. And maybe that someone starts with like a part-time gig that has like a, maybe a very high commission percentage or something like that. Right. Um, that usually is the path forward. Um, what do, do you, have you identified like that tech stack, the tools that someone would use to find these new people, uh, whether it's contact information, you know, or where they're located or anything like that? Not, no. Uh, yeah. um, and that's okay, by the way. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. <laughs> well, well, no, we're trying. Yeah, so we're, we, we're looking for those tools. We're, we're, we're trying to put some of that stuff in place. The biggest problem we have is we need to find uh, a CRM that that if you know anybody, let me know. Uh, we're looking for a, a good quality CRM that uh, we're not necessarily looking for anything that's free, but something that's affordable and uh, that has all the features that we need. Uh, you know, Salesforce seems to be the leader with that, but it's not, it's priced a little bit out the scope of what we're looking for right now. Um, so that's, that's what we need to do. You're absolutely right. We need to build that CRM Rolodex because yeah. I mean, that's what a CRM is now, right? It's the Rolodex that 20 years ago used to, or 30 years ago used to keep in your drawer. Now it's on the computer. Yeah. Um, so yes, we need to do that. Uh, we have been uh, reaching out to other contract manufacturers, uh, bigger ones, uh, to build a relationship with them so that if we do have a client that comes to us and they say, hey, we need uh, – I had a, someone message me said they wanted 85,000 boards. Oh. And I, so now I'm able to say okay because we have a network of other contract manufacturers that we can hire to make those. And we can bring them back here. Uh, we can test them and things like that. And it's very time consuming, but it's totally possible. And luckily so far through all of our network connections, like the the CM work that we have gotten, um, a lot of those have been prior business contacts or prior, you know, friends that are are in the same community that we're in that, you know, Hey, give us a shot. Let us see how we do uh, versus some of the other CMs that you've already used. Um, And most of the, what we've seen so far, we've been able to beat, competitor prices we've been able to offer that you know almost included testing and you know programming uh side of it which is is very well can you know well received in some of that community because so many people just don't even offer that service or if they do offer it it's so much more expensive uh so we've been able to kind of leverage that and use that to our advantage in getting what we have so far and looking at those customers uh it's, it's been nice to have repeat business, but these are really small, small niche markets to where if we build, you know, 150 boards for, for somebody, it may last a year or two. So we're looking to go slightly larger and go kind of out of network for, for that next step. I have, so, I, I personally have had some success with Twitter. Speaking of which, I'm on Twitter at Make Augusta. And if you want to follow me, 
but I've had some success where I, I see somebody that's making a cool product or they want to make a cool product and maybe they're trying to work with crowd supply or group gets and uh, to do the fulfillment. Um, and I message them and say, Hey, I would love to just quote your project. No obligation, right? Just send me the bill of material, send me the Gerbers. I'll give you a quote. And uh, that has been really successful for us. Just, you know, cold messaging people on Twitter. Yeah. Now it's interesting. Well, I want to talk about the CRM thing. So we've talked, we've talked about this or I've talked about this a little bit on the show, but not a ton yet. So just for, so folks know, I'm working on a CRM for early stage companies called intro CRM. And there's aspects where I think this might be a fit for what you guys are working on, but I want to talk about why it might not be. So my general thought is in, in introducing this tool is that, so every CRM tool, and, and I think this is really important for the stage that you're at in the business. Every CRM tool has a philosophy about how you sell. Um, sometimes it's explicit, but other times it's just sort of implicitly baked in. And that philosophy of the company um, affects the features they build and how their product works. So for example, HubSpot is a very, very popular option because they have a robust free CRM. However, HubSpot is an inbound marketing company. And right. so if at this stage, you're finding a lot of success with outbound, specifically through Twitter, and then you and then you say, hey, HubSpot's free and it's got all these features and it syncs with my email and I think that's great. I've seen companies hit a wall where they don't have a way to use a tool like HubSpot to track their outbound. And so either they come up with all these workarounds or they find sort of these like plugin tools that can make it do what they want it to do. Or, or typically what really happens is they end up just using a spreadsheet and then the CRM's out of date and the spreadsheet's out of date, you know, and that's kind of the best case scenario. Right. The worst case scenario is they say, oh, well, HubSpot doesn't really do it. And then they end up just doing like no outbound at all. And, and maybe they don't know yet where that customer acquisition is going to come from. And so the idea with intro is that if you, if you don't quite know yet, if you don't quite have that repeatability nailed down yet, it's just like a very, very simple, lightweight tool that, that just helps you keep track. And the reality is it's, if you have a low enough deal volume, you can kind of mostly remember most of the things you need to know in your head. And when for smaller businesses, like I thought of you all, we, a conversation that we had where, you know, like a lot of tools will have like file managers and they'll have like, you can assign other people in uh, tasks and it syncs to your emails and then you have contacts, but you end up with all these redundancies where it's like, well, now I have a contact list in the CRM, but most of my actual contacts are in my email, like ProtonMail right. or Gmail. And then I've got, I'm uploading a quote every once in a while to the CRM, but really I actually use just my computer or Dropbox or Google Drive for my files. So intro doesn't do like any of that stuff. It's right. just a deal tracker. And I guess my point isn't really just to promote intro hero. I mean, obviously I'm doing that, but that's not exclusively my point. My main point here is just like, as you think about a tool to help you grow your business, it doesn't need to necessarily solve every problem. And the real, real problem or challenge right now is what is the type of customer and how can we repeatedly contact them without having to spend a whole bunch of time filling out data fields and all these things like that. Um, I think that the success rate that you're seeing on with Twitter and in general success rate you're seeing with quotes, that's really encouraging. That suggests to me that you just want to get more shots on goal, right? I mean, right. 50% is so high that you just want to figure out a way to get more shots on goal. Well, also I say 50%, but it also might be a small sample size. 
Sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if, if, if we gave out a thousand quotes a month, it might be closer to 5%. Yeah. Um, but then do we even have time to give a thousand quotes a month? Yeah. And what kind of business do you want to build is the other thing, you know, I mean, do you want to be sending out a thousand quotes a month to people who like may or may not be interested at all in the product? Right. And maybe, maybe that's cool. Maybe that's not cool. I'm not, I'm not putting a value judgment on that. Um, but there, you know, some companies, the way they sell and market and the way they honestly spam people, like I I find that annoying. And I, and I'm I'm not saying y'all want to spam people, but I'm just saying in general, like there's trade-offs with different ways of going to market, you know, um, or like doing like really aggressive advertising that chases people all over the internet at some point. They're like, Hey, like stop. Or like, you know, the whole used car salesman thing, like that is a technique you know, all the things that they do, but there's consequences with that, which is that people have a negative emotion with association with your brand, which is the absolutely. Yeah. And then that is something that we, that I've run into where, uh, yeah, I, I message somebody and then I follow up with them. And then like a month later, I follow up with them again. And then I realize I'm just spamming this person. Yeah. That's all I'm doing. They, they have like, I want to work with them, but they don't want to work with me. Yeah. They're happy hand placing everything. They're happy doing that. It gives them joy to make things on their kitchen table. Yeah, uh, yeah, so that's not your customer. Right. Exactly. But I'm still okay. spamming them, <laughs> you know, so, um, so that you're right. Uh, you don't want to come across like you're going to spam your customer, but like, we don't necessarily know where that line is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, typically like a next step would be outlining, there's a tool and Sean, I know you're familiar with this as well from marketing, the idea of like a persona. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, personas tend to be um, very demographically oriented, like age or, uh, you know, kind of broader categories, like a, a sales persona, especially if you're talking about doing outbound, you you really, it's very zoomed in. And, and, and I like to build them based off of, starting with like closed deals. So like pulling up QuickBooks or zero or however PayPal, however you're doing or invoicing and looking through, okay, these are legit real closed customers. Let's take them, put together a little spreadsheet and talk about what do they have in common? What do they have different? Okay. We think we're putting together a composite of like, here's three to five types of companies or types of people that we're selling to. What is their job function? Where do they sit in the org chart? Um, so starting with like who they are and then like, why are they talking? Like, why do they want to save money on their boards? Of course, everyone wants to save money, but like that also requires more work. Why are they open? Is it because you're a domestic manufacturer? Is it because of the quality of your services? Is it because you're local? Um, and then finally they're like, what is the actual thing that they ended up buying and using that and then very deliberately doing outbound. But the goal of your outbound is not to close deals immediately. The goal of your outbound is to validate your hypothesis that these are the types of customers. And if you're getting feedback and people are generally like, hey, thanks for reaching out and opening and responding, that's telling you that you're looking in the right direction. And it's hard because people want money right now. But I think this is a more repeat, a way, a more repeatable way of doing it. Then once you're confident you're talking to the right people and the language you're using is resonating with them, then you can like turn it up more because you're looking, you're going down the right road. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I had someone explain to me a while ago uh, and I didn't, I didn't quite understand it until recently, but you will never make a sale on your first call. Right. It might take three or five calls to get 
any sales out of out of who you're trying to talk to. Um, and you just have to know that going into the conversation. That is Absolutely. just an introduction. And it might you might it might take six months to close a sale with somebody. So uh, we we've we've worked through that <laughs> and we're not disappointed when we don't get a sale in the first six months now. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think especially in a sales during process, that's definitely the case because you are you know you are interrupting them. I mean, right. there's a chance that they're like, "Oh, funny you ask. I was just googling contract manufacturers in Augusta, Georgia." Yeah, we've had that. Happen. Me, you know, <laughs> you had that happen. There you go. But that doesn't yeah, happen it does. a lot. It does happen. <laughs> it does happen, but not a lot. If that does happen, it means you're having a hot day. Go to the casino or you know do some <laughs> online gambling. <laughs> but. Yeah, but and that's where like inbound and some of the other uh, marketing techniques can be helpful because they do allow you to warm up some of those leads and 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 w- and that's what you I think you've been doing in building your own audience on Twitter as well. Um, but yeah, it's a considered purchase. Choosing a new supplier is a considered purchase. Right. The flip side of this is that once you secure that business, it's a moat. All that work you had to do to get the customer, somebody else is going to have to do all that work to take them from you. So at least there's something a benefit there. Right. So answer, answer me this, guys, um, and and uh, you know from what you can describe about you know don't give away all your secrets if you're not feeling inclined. But I I want you to be honest. When you have somebody choose you guys for a manufacturing, how often do they come back for a second job? Um, and I I ask this coming from a a story I had something I read where you know I do I do mixology for fun as like a hobby. I like mixing drinks for people. And one of the biggest piece of advice I got is how do you know if somebody liked your drink? It's not, they say, oh, this is delicious. It's, do they come back for a second? Yes. That's how you know. So how, how, what percentage of repeat customers do you guys have? Because that's a good indication of, yes, you're providing a good service and they like working with you. Right. So uh, we've only been doing the CM portion for about eight months now. And we've had one, right? Yeah. Can you think of any others? I think we've had two. Was We've had two, uh, but we have customers that uh, make an effort to tell us how happy they are with the service we provided. And it's and it for those customers that tell us, hey, we appreciate you guys doing all of this stuff for us. It, the feelings that we get from those customers is that we just built them a supply line that's going to run six months or a year out. So we're expecting some of that repeat business either later in this year or the first part of next year. Um, so I think saying that we're probably seeing a 60 to 70% return rate um, is kind of a number that I would put on it. Okay. Uh, and uh, that, that's not saying they have returned yet. It's I am expecting them to come back since we have done so much for them this year already, if that makes sense. But uh, And I just want to... If someone's doing listening to this while doing dishes, repeat business rate. Like, I, not yeah. return rate on your boards. You're not seeing 70% of people returning your boards. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely uh, repeat business. And, and, and that's another thing. So we've, uh, through contract manufacturing, we've probably done somewhere between 2,500 and 3,000 boards for customers. And we have had zero complaints. Now, that could just be them not complaining. <laughs> you know, that I'm saying, I don't want to be the guy complaining. Uh, but we have had a lot of uh, customers calling us and saying, we didn't expect anything of this quality. 
Uh, I've worked with other U.S.-based, myself personally, I've worked with other U.S.-based uh, contract manufacturers uh, before uh, with different uh, clients that I was doing design work for uh, before we got our own production line. And so we knew what to expect from them. And we knew, so we know what other people expect from them. And we just wanted to give a better product. So if that means we package it better, uh, uh, we put labels on all the products. We, we try to make uh, our service as turnkey as possible. And that, that's why we test it. That's why we do all the testing. That way you get a product and it's finished. Uh, and we do, we did get, like you said, with mixology, how do you know if someone's happy with the drink? It's not that they tell you, it's that they buy it again. But um, we, I don't think we've had enough time behind us doing this to have people buy it again. Does that make sense? Yeah. And you've, you've got a couple right now. And so, right. you know, going back to a, a thing that Harris was mentioning Developing your personas is a hugely important exercise that I don't think enough people do. Um, and I would start with your repeat customers, even if it's only one or two, and develop your persona around that idea of a person, and then see if your other, the people you, who have purchased from you fit into that persona, right? We're like, oh, this is a, you know, 30 to 40 white American citizen. Um, looking for 30 boards, right? And that was my repeat customer. And that's been 80% of our business. That's a, that's a solid persona, um, that you have that you can then market to, you know, cold call, sales, prospect, whatever. But you have an idea of who this person is. Um, and if you haven't done a persona exercise, I think HubSpot has a whole bunch of tutorials and articles about how to do it. Um, but I, I would honestly say for marketing, that's going to be your first step. Figure out who your audience is, and to do that, you go through the persona exercise. Terrace, does that sound about right to you? Like that like definitely sounds right to me. Yeah, and I think you can also experiment with you can you can use when you're small like this, you can use that as an advantage, and you can experiment with like different messaging, you know, rapidly, very quickly, trying different things, posting in different ways about what you're talking about on Twitter. Um, I think there's lots of ways to experiment quickly. You know, like there's no when you're doing something new like this, and I think that your business model is, I think, pretty unique, the combination of things that you're offering. Um, there's no, you know, white papers you can buy. There's no like webinar you can attend where they're going to tell you, you know, like if you want to open a McDonald's, there's reams of research and books you can read. And I'm not saying it's easy to do, but people have done it before. Right. You're offering a really unique combination of things. And I think it's hard because people give this like sales advice, you know, and they post this stuff on Twitter and there's like these gurus that write these things. And it's like, these things don't apply from company to company. They don't apply even from customer to customer. It's just really hard, unglamorous work where you just have to like roll your sleeves up and it's not fun a lot of the times. And there's no like shortcut to it, <laughs> you know? Right. And, well, and another thing is, uh, uh, you mentioned Seed Studio before when we were talking about a value-based uh, contract manufacturing where we do the fulfillment. Well, yeah, they used to do that, but they stopped. And they probably had a good reason to stop doing that. Right. And we haven't figured out that reason yet. And, you know, that's something hanging over our head, right? That eventually we're going to find out the reason that they stopped. And then we're going to hit that same wall. Uh, so that's intimidating. Or we're going to breakthrough or we're going to find a way to break through but it's it's a it, we know that there is a problem associated with that we just don't know what that problem is yet 
Does that make sense? And my yeah, my prediction for that is they they found that um, it probably wasn't sustainable for their business. Now, whether that means they're too large and it was just drops in a bucket, um, and that they were spending way too much time to try to deal with people's you know designs and they just couldn't fulfill it at the volumes, um, that might mean that they're too big to take on this work. Um, or it also might mean that it's just not feasible to. Um, handhold people through design work and manufacturing work, you know, especially if they're new at it and run into all these problems. And it's like, you're spending, you, you can't charge them enough to make up for your time for right. these one-off deals, um, which is a potential problem. Right. Um, you know, right. Like you said, maybe you break through and maybe you find a way to make that, that sustainable and whatnot. But, um, you guys are working on that and figuring it out right now. And I do see a need, like what you guys are doing, I see a need for, uh, small batch contract manufacturing. Um, especially in the maker, the prototyping community, I do see a need for it. Um, right. It's just hard to find. Absolutely. And that, and that is something that we've, we've gotten a lot of feedback from uh, where people say, hey, can you make 10 of these boards for me? Uh, but unfortunately, uh, and we're happy to do it, but like you said, if you go to any contract manufacturer and you say, hey, I want 10 boards made, it's gonna, the price is going to be high. And, and the reasons for that is, you know, the setup charges because mm -hmm. uh, yeah. it takes time to set up the machine for each board. And that's just, there's no way around that. Um, but like if, if they said instead of 10, they said 50, well, all of a sudden the, the price per unit drops significantly because it because the upfront cost of setting up the machine for that board is spread across 50 boards instead of 10. Um, I don't. And it's a it's amazing to see that too. Like right. it's even when you're buying components, you know, um, if I go to buy a hundred resistors, they're going to be this set price. But if I buy five hundred, you know, they're actually cheaper. It it costs me, you know, maybe two or three dollars more to buy five hundred than it did for the hundred. Um, board assembly is kind of that same way, you know. Once you start kind of getting into the higher quantities, uh, we can almost drop the price enough to where it makes sense to buy. 50 boards over 10 uh, in some cases, not all cases, um, but, you know, spend a couple extra hundred bucks and you end up with maybe 40 extra boards than you would have had beforehand. Uh, and we can kind of present those numbers when we're doing that as well. Uh, with some of the larger companies, you know, they're just going to quote based on this 10 and, and be out the door and ready to go. We normally lay it out to where we're quoting, you know, 10, 50, 100. And then we can kind of present all that in one shot. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, so, I know that we're running out of time here, and I wanted to tackle some of the questions that you guys had had sent me in preparation for this. Um, and I think we we talked a bit about um, how you find leads outside of your existing network, um, and that is basically just do what you did earlier before starting all this. Um, whether that's going to conferences, you know, it sounds like your Twitter game is pretty solid. I look through your stuff; you're you're posting a few times every day. You you've got my Twitter game beat by a long shot. Um, keep doing that. Keep finding. Um, Look for hashtags. Get your like you got to get your hashtag game up. That's the only thing I can see here. Um, you start using hashtags with your stuff so that people can find you outside of your existing network, um, as well as look for hashtags. You know whatever that might be. Hashtag contract manufacturing. I don't know if that's a thing. You're gonna have to do some research to figure that out. Right, right, right. Um, go find people who are talking about those things and interject yourself in their conversation in the least salesy way possible. Right, right. If they're like. You know, unless they're asking, hey, I'm looking for a contract manufacturer, it might be like, hey, uh, I'm having this issue 
with doing contract manufacturing? Answer their question. Just be open right. and honest. Pretend like you're a person, right? Or or people are posting projects. Just go on there and be like, hey, that looks really cool and retweet them, right? Offer them some love. If you offer them love, you hope that they give you love in return, but don't expect it. Right. And then at some point, you can come back and ask them whether that's a tweet that says, hey, we do contract manufacturing. Um, or like you said, you reach out to individuals who are like, hey, it looks like you're trying to make these boards or you're sending out quotes. Let us help you. Um, the only other thing I might say about Twitter is you might want to adjust because right now you're like, hey, we do everything right on your Twitter page yeah, here. Right. right? right. I, I would look at being more focused about saying um, like, like. One thing or two things is my recommendation to say we do contract manufacturing, period. Um, and that's kind of it. Or say we sell electronics and do CM. I was just laughing because you were saying reply to these tweets, pretend like you're a person. <laughs> it is. So many companies don't do that, though. Right. So, no, you're absolutely right. So I do spend uh, probably more time than I should on Twitter. And I'll, <laughs> I'll see other people's projects and I will comment on them. And I, and I'm happy Perfect. to help wherever I can. Hey, you got this problem. Well, that's a problem I had two years ago. Let me, you know, check out this data sheet. Read this data sheet. Let me know what you think. Stuff like that. Yeah, uh, and it's it's slow, but keep doing that because you've got right. 811 followers right now, and it and it takes time to grow that following list. You've got to give people love. You gotta you gotta help them out. Um, and Twitter takes time, like just like blogging, just like any of these marketing efforts. I mean, right. you're looking at months or years you got to play long game with these this these aren't this isn't the same as prospecting of like cold calling people it's you're building a following so that later down the road in a year when these people start running into like oh i need to like build this thing and i need help you're like i have a shop for you right and, yeah. and, and i will say for people listening that doing that has worked yeah, I, I have proof that that does work just you know yes. hanging on twitter and just talking to people and then you know, once you're in a conversation, just let them know what you're doing and they will eventually, if you're lucky, contact you and say, hey, you know that thing you said you do, will you do that for me? Uh, and so that does definitely work. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's how we got connected. Right. Exactly. That's how I've met Harrison and Sean uh, and other people that uh, there. I've had two other big uh, sales that work just through that way. Uh, we have one that's starting up next week. Uh, then we have one that uh, Hannah, our helper, is working on right now. Um, so that definitely does work. It's just hanging on Twitter and then filtering in what you're doing uh, does generate leads. Yeah. No, and I think you've I think you've been using Twitter effectively. I think that you know I'm looking at your page here. I just pulled it up at the time that we're recording it right now. The pinned tweet that you've got up is about the uh, subscription box. Right. Which makes sense because it's a product, it's available, and that was a big promotion. You might want to consider if you're shifting um, your focus right now to contract manufacturing. I know you're still doing the box, um, but your focus, your energy is going towards that. You might want to consider switching it up. So Because when someone's going to land on your page, now I think you have a good bio. Uh, hey, we're an electronics design manufacturing education firm in Augusta, Georgia area. Um, we also have a monthly soldering kit box. I think that's great. You've got the URL, the logo is nice. The little panda is really cute. Um, but you know, you might want to think about changing that pin tweet because that is part of it. People will sort of, I, I want to underscore what Sean said about replying and adding value in those threads. Um, especially particularly, can you add value? Can you answer a question? Can you provide additional context? You know, things as a contract manufacturer that other people don't know, maybe about constraints that, that, 
CMs have about like why pricing is a certain way. So if right. you were to like explain to people, oh, well, the reason why it's so much cheaper if you get 50 boards is because the amount of space inside of that machine that does the soldering or the pick and place or whatever, this is how big it is. And it's like, this is a, here's a picture of a board that fits in. Here's why it's cheaper. Stuff like that. Stuff where right. people are like, oh, wow. Because I think a lot of those companies are, are kind of old school. So, you know, if you're more engaged and personal and have a personality and you kind of take people behind the scenes, um, I, I think it helps build credibility. And then it also explains to them like, oh, that's the cost driver it, because they may not get that level of service from maybe an overseas, um, you know, just quick turnaround online auto quoting type company. Right. right. And, and that is something that I plan on doing with uh, our next job that we have coming up next week. Uh, I don't know if you know Nick Sayer. He's fairly popular on Twitter. Uh, he hired us to do, he has these USB uh, no modem boards, whereas USB-C on both sides. And it's pretty neat. And uh, there's a, a market fit for that product. And I asked him um, where most of the time we do contract manufacturing, it's for customers that aren't interested in having us post about their products. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, and so they don't want the people to see inside the device. Uh, so I asked him and say, Hey, would you mind if we just posted a ton about the process in doing this board? Like here's, here's why stenciling. Oh, here's another thing. People that listen, uh, pro tip, your stenciling job is the most important part <laughs> of, of making your board. If you uh, do not put the effort into stenciling your solder, uh, silk screen on there or the, you know, your solder paste onto your board it will give you a hard time. <laughs> so, but you know, get making like a five minute video about why that's so important and how do you check for those things? Um, and what machinery you use for doing that? Cause you, we had to buy a special silk screen machine. I was that thing called. Silk I have no idea. Machine. Silk screen machine. <laughs> and it's like $300 for this, this thing that holds a stencil for you. Uh, but it makes an entire world of difference. Um, and then, you know, and then we, we, people love it when we post videos about the pick and place machine, right? It's just fun. People like robots. Um, so I wanted to post more about that. And then like the conveyor oven and, uh, right, exactly. So we are planning on doing that with this next job. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. great. Yeah, no, keep, keep doing, you know, I, I always say, keep giving away the secrets of your business. Um, like show people what you're doing, how you're doing it, problems you run into, problems people might run into. Um, right. That is good content. That is content gold. And, you know, whether that's for social media, like it's like, oh, here's here's pick and place. Here's us doing this. Now, the problem I have with social media is that it's very, um, uh, I'm going to mispronounce this, probably ethereal, where it, it's it's gone, right? People really don't give a crap about your social media post 24 hours after, you know, even oh, whether yeah. it's a story, whether it's your feed, whatever it is, people just rarely go back and look at your crap on, on social media. So you have to consider social media is like, you're at a party and you want to like say this funny thing. You want to show this cool story. You want to add value to somebody's conversation and then it's gone, right? And maybe people will remember you for it, maybe not. So, you know, Twitter is the Twitter is the cocktail hour party where people are hanging out and chatting. Um, if you want to write something longer about like, oh, here are the problems you run into when you're solder mass or excuse me, pasting, um, you know, putting your solder, your, your solder paste down. 
Then you want to get into like your blogging or a newsletter or something like that where people can refer back to. And then you get into the game of like, hey, do we, how do we make sure we have the search engine optimization for this so that people can, when they search for like, how do I do uh, solder paste on Google? You want to be in that first page of Google hits. Um, that is the blog game. You want to make sure that like how to do great solder paste, whatever. Like you have to do a bunch of research to figure out that this is the title we want to use. We want to be 1200 words or more. You know, make sure we use this stuff so that it looks good. We've got pictures, maybe a video. I actually, I actually consider, you know, to me, that's, I, I, I use this analogy a lot. That's building your ice cream sundae, right? The 1200 words with good pictures is your ice cream. Videos is your cherries and your nuts. Like those don't matter so much as having a good post that people can find on Google. And once you build out, you know, a dozen of those around how do you do good assembly manufacturing, then people start coming in, assuming you can be found and are indexed, that right. people can, like when I search, how do I do solder paste or how do I do oven reflow, whatever it is, you want to land on a Cyber City Circuits page and I can read your post. Um, this is how SparkFund does very well with, you know, millions of hits on what is AC versus DC or what is voltage. Right. If you search up for what is voltage, SparkFund is like your first or second hit and that gets millions of views. So people now start realizing that SparkFund is there. Now, most of those people don't ever come back and buy anything from SparkFund, but that's part of that top of funnel. I'm expanding my network and getting people to recognize my name. Um, it takes time and effort to write good pieces of content like like that so keep that in mind but the most important thing is that because they landed on the spark fun page they know that spark fun exists yes you become and top of mind part. that for anybody listening that's the hardest part is letting people know you exist yep um adafruit does the same thing they've got great blog posts they've got great content um and and they their twitter game is also fantastic Right. Um, right. And they have a really good newsletter. They've got all these follow up things that as you move down that pipeline until you're close, Adafruit, um, SparkFun does as well. But most of these good companies like this will stay top of mind. You know, that's a newsletter once a day or once a week. You know, you don't want to be too spammy, but you want to let people you want to add value to their lives and finding ways to do that um, is very important. So, yeah, keep keep that in mind as you're trying to build out this marketing thing. Um, and then getting back to something else you asked about, you know, what's the best way um, for for reaching out to these clients? You know, how do you do cold calling? How do you do all of this stuff? You know, is it phone? Is it email? It's the same thing when you come to marketing. Um, and Harris can probably talk to this, but I'm going to give you my two cents first. And that is you don't know. Right. Honestly, you you create a hypothesis, right? You say, I think that, you know, we did well with these people on Twitter. So I think that Twitter is best. And so what you do is you have to do a bunch of Twitter cold calls, whether that's, you know, DMing people, and you send out emails to some people and you see what performs better. And it's just, it you know, marketing is more science than I think people want to give it credit for. Everyone right. thinks marketing is fun colors and shapes and fun photographs. And while that is a part of branding, uh, real marketing comes down to, what do customers engage with? And you have to take a scientific mind to go, I have a hypothesis, I'm going to test it and see the results. And you just continue that over and over again until you develop this idea of, we do better on Twitter or we do better with cold calling prospects. What gives us not just the most customers, but what brings in the most money? Cause that's what keeps you afloat. Um, so you have, and record everything, right? Whether it's a scratch pad, a notepad, an email to yourself, whatever it is, be like, okay, we're going to do 
X percentage here and X percentage here. But like you said, when you're starting off, you don't know because you have such a small sample size. So it is tough, um, but it takes time. And over time, you start to develop this idea of how you're interacting with your customers and what works well. So I'll let Harris throw his two cents on the sales side, but that's been my experience with marketing. Yeah, no, I think Sean's right. I mean, you have to experiment. I mean, and I'll say taking a step back, I think y'all are doing a good job building a pretty nice business here. I mean, yeah, you, you got the e-commerce side set up real quick and it looks good. You've been adding interesting new products and vendors. Uh, you've got interesting tools in there. You've got, uh, th- th- there's some really good stuff going on here and just you're doing it the hard way. Bootstrapping is hard. Uh, it's a lot easier to convince someone to write a check if they have to write checks than it is to convince like tons of people to give money to a company that just started. So I think, you know, and you know, the, the sort of theme here is of the episode is exploring sort of what are some things that you guys can think about as you're growing. Um, but I did just want to take a minute and I know that Sean respects as well, what you're building. I just wanted to take a minute to acknowledge that. And I think for folks who are getting started, it is worth checking out what they are building over at Cyber City Circuits because I think this you you all have covered a lot of ground pretty quick. Just wanted to say that real quick. But and and so connected. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. Well, on, on that topic, I, I will say that a lot of that was Shopify. Yep. And Shopify is expensive, and and the themes for Shopify and the tools, the apps that you need for Shopify, they cost real money, but they sure. work. So if you want to start your own e-commerce platform, I highly recommend Shopify over WordPress or things like that because they did a lot of the work for you already. Yeah. Yeah. So you made good investments. So I think you, you know, one thing, a theme I've seen in talking to people about sales is that um, a lot of people think that there's like some secret and there's just not. Right. So like you have obviously strong business instinct. I think you've been doing a good job getting your feet under you here. So keep listening to that. I agree with what Sean said. In the beginning, the cost of of not knowing the repeatability of your deals is that you have to do a lot of different things. Sure. Um, the only thing I would caution is like Sean was saying, like if you do a million different things and you're not measuring, it's better to do a few things deliberately and if that means you have a cycle where you set up, you know, we did a whole episode on SEO where you set up Uber Suggest and you set up an account with neilpatel.com and you just look at the basics of your website and is it, is it, am I making any major mistakes with SEO? And maybe you spend like two weeks in a little cycle on that. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to come back to SEO in a month. Okay. And I've got a couple principles I'm going to keep in mind the next time I write a blog post. Okay. Now I'm going to do a little two week cycle on maybe reaching out to one new person a day on Twitter or something like that. Like less is more. If you can do little experiments, I'm going to try this type of subject line. Maybe I'm going to try messaging outreach to one person a day or two people a day. I'm going to use this. I'm going to use LinkedIn Sales Navigator, or I'm going to use a tool like Hunter.io uh, or MailSwipe. One of these tools to get contacts, or maybe use like SparkToro to do market research and just test. Okay, is it that people want to save money? Maybe, maybe not. Is it they want to work with a domestic manufacturer? Maybe, maybe not. Is it that they just want to know who they're working with? I mean, my hypothesis is that I think you could improve um, your business by talking more about yourselves. I think your stories are really interesting. You know, it's veteran-owned business. You've got tons of experience. Um, but like, it's not just like that the company has experience. Like you both 
have that right. experience. And you've got Hannah on the team as well. And you've got other resources in, in your community, whether it's like box, box fabrication or whatever else. So, you know, I think like put injecting, I think the brand has personality with the Panda and the colors, but I think injecting some personal personality, getting yourselves in there, um, you know, pictures of your faces and talk about what you've done in the past. I think that might help. Um, my suspicion is that people want to work with you. I think my suspicion is that as people get to know you and have conversations with you, they were like, yeah, you know what? You seem like, you know what you're talking about. So maybe you surface that up. Sometimes I feel like sometimes smaller businesses, they want it. They don't want to seem too small of like, this is Johnny's shop, you know? Right. So they don't like, but I, I think sometimes that can be a strength because a, a lot of the bigger companies, they don't have that, you know, they've got so many employees. It's just this faceless, uh, you know, corporate whatever juggernaut. And um, I think sometimes that's a big benefit of being small. Yeah. Um, I, I want to jump in real quick and say that um, Harris and I are throwing out ideas at you. And I want to caution you from like, you know, uh, what I call conference brain, right? You go take this workshop at a conference. I, I've had like every manager I've ever had has come back from a conference with conference brain. And this is just a nature of who we are as humans. You're like, this sounds great. We're going to do all these things. Harris mentioned doing all these things. We're going to try all these things. And you take like all the spaghetti and you throw it against the wall. And you're like, wait, nothing's stuck. And I, I want to say like, go through this list. You know, I, of the most important thing I would think is finding that persona. Like if you're going to do one thing from this call, it's going to go make that persona and start figuring out who's coming to you. Um, your audience, like who figuring out who your audience is, is the single most important step you can do. And then all these things that Harris and I are talking about, whether it's like social media, you know, doing more, more personal stories, all these things, don't try to do these all next week. Um, these are, these are things you're going to like, you know, let's, let's spend a week just talking about Chris and his background and see if people engage with that on Twitter. Like, do people like it or not? And and if not, move on. Maybe try something else later where it's a personal story. Um, but don't just keep throwing spaghetti against the wall and going like, oh my God, why is nothing working? Because every time you try something different, it's an experiment. And if you're not learning from that and adjusting how you're working with people, you're not, it's not really helping you at all. So like, try like, two things that we're talking about here because we're just throwing a bunch of ideas at you right now um because yeah. like harris and i have been mentioning it's it's a learning process this is it takes time you have to spend you know businesses take years uh what was what's the axiom or, or, or idiom that i keep hearing it's like it takes 10 years to be an overnight success or 20 years yeah. to be an overnight yeah. success yeah. right totally. it, you know it, uh, rarely do you find somebody that's just like oh i popped on the internet you know and i showed you this cool picture and i've got a million followers right like that like the probability of that happening is so infinitesimally small that you basically have to assume I'm going to spend 10 years building this business. Um, yeah. And it's just a slow learning process. And if you're not recording and learning about what works and what doesn't, um, and those change. Here's the other problem with marketing. It's a freaking moving target. You know, I'm telling you to write blog posts that outline what you're doing in contract manufacturing. And in two weeks, Google might change how they do searches and suddenly it doesn't matter anymore, Right. It's right. so like marketing is such a moving target with this. Right. Absolutely. And, and that, and that's, you're right. So that's intimidating too. Yeah. Right. Uh, because you could put all this work into it and you just kind of at the whim of Google. Right. And it's, it's some, um, you know, playing the SEO game with Google is I, I would consider like as a, as a contact, as a content maker, like my profession is to make content. I would consider that still maybe 20, 10% of what I have to worry myself with. Right. I have to worry about it, but my most of my efforts should be going into 
am I making value for my audience? Because if I'm not doing that, it doesn't matter how much good SEO I have. If I don't have a good product, and for my, for me, product is content. Um, for you, content is just a piece of your marketing efforts, your marketing strategy, your marketing right. efforts, right? Your primary focus should be, I need to add value to my customer, to my audience, right? Whether to that's- people before their customers. Correct. Yeah, right. I call it your audience. Exactly. Like they may not be buying from you, but maybe they will one day. So that's my audience. My customer is when that when that audience member goes, oh yeah, I like those guys at Cyber City Circuits. I'm gonna buy something from them. Um, right. Then they become a customer, and then we can talk about like maintaining customers once you have that. But for now, it's you know how do you appeal to an audience to grow your network such that they can become customers eventually? Right. Um, and if you're not adding value to that audience. I don't think you're working very well as a marketer or just marketing efforts in general. So add value, whatever that might be. It might be telling a funny story. Your GIF game on Twitter might be so phenomenal that you've developed an audience around that, right? Now, the question is, is the audience you're developing potential customers? Because if I just make humorous cat videos on Twitter all day long and I'm a contract manufacturing, the probability that those cust or that audience member is going to become a customer, you've shrunk that by, by your efforts. Right. It's like, you know, you think of your Venn diagram and it's like, oh, cat video consumers. There's not a lot of overlap with people who want to use a CM. Um, but if I if I talk about, you know, problems with problems with soldering and if I'm doing reflow and here's some soldering tips and, you know, you know, problems with boards. How do we do testing? Like, oh, those people who engage with that will probably want to consider doing CM in the future. So, yeah, you've got to consider that's why you build that persona. Right. Who are we going to talk to in this persona? Right. That's a uh, great feedback. Yeah, who the who drives everything. The who drives everything. It's it, it drives every single decision. It drives what are the SEO terms that you want to do. I mean, you you could be the number one uh, search term for what is a PCB, but I right. don't think people that are looking up what is a PCB are going to be placing orders for batches of thousands of PCBs. They're right. probably going to be in like high school or maybe they're learning something technical for the first time. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if if I'm DigiKey, I want to own that because right. I want someone, as soon as they think of electronics, to think of me from the very beginning because I'm a mega brand. But if I'm Cyber City Circuits, I'm probably much more interested in being the number one uh, ranking on like best ways to work with a domestic contract manufacturer. It's just some weird long tail niche. term niche. Oh, yeah, I don't niche weird wrong word, but niche down, right? Like what is like that's like because I, I worked for a company uh, and uh, it, the message was always well, we need to be like Geico. Marketing <laughs> needs to get us out there like Geico, and it's like Geico sells a product that's mandatory for over 100 million Americans. They, and they sell a product that's essentially commoditized. So right. that's why they spend so much on advertising because like who cares who your car insurance company is? So they have to get you to care about something like that, right? Like you don't need to be like Geico. Um, right. You need to be like a, a niche provider of something really specific, like your local pub or something where you're like, I love having a beer and watching the game at this place or, you know, having a smoothie and sitting in the park at this place. Like that, it, it's a niche thing. And your who drives all of that. It drives all of these tactics. So what, your you're describing is, what you're describing is giving them a better experience. Well, I love working with Cyber City Circuits for my CM work because X. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You're doing the hard part. Like 
Most companies, they get over their skis because they don't think about the products and the quality and their execution. They're so sales and marketing oriented that they find the right people and those people show up and they're like, hey, this product stinks. Like, right. I think you're building the business with a very high degree of integrity. We're building inside out. You're investing in the equipment. You already know all this stuff. You know how to do it. And now you're figuring out, okay, well, how do we make sure that people know about us versus the other way? A lot of venture backed companies, they tell everyone about the thing and then it turns out it's vaporware. Right. <laughs> and right. They hope that later on they can actually build it. And it turns out most of these things are just like mechanical Turks. And there's just like hundreds of people doing something that's not actually machine learning, but it's just human beings in this big factory. Like, oh, that happened. Yeah. That's like a oh. real thing. It happens all, it, it, it's very common in a lot of these things that are presented as like automated and stuff, you know, it's crazy. What company was, what company was that? Well, it's, 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 it's totally common practice. Right. Oh, common practice. More than one. Yeah. Oh, more than, oh my goodness. You'd have a, like, oh, well later on the software will do all this. But for now it's, it's just a bunch of people in a warehouse. Don't look, don't look at the, don't look behind the curtain, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Geez. Um, no, in, in, in marketing, there were too many times where I was asked to polish a turd and they were like, it's, it's a garbage product. And they're like, but we have to sell it. And I'm like, I will do the best I can, but I'm still polishing a turd. You guys do not have a turd. You guys have a very, you know, that's, that's like the best compliment, right? No, you guys actually have a good product. I think you're meeting a niche market. Um, and it sounds like you guys are delivering great quality. You've got a good product and, um, it's, it's now, you know, you have to like, look at ways to get the word out basically. And that's, right. that's a different problem, but I'd rather you be in that situation than approaching Harris and I go like, how do we sell this turd? And Harris and I are going to be like, well, uh, you really need to not have a turd. Like that's going to be your first step. Like you need a better product. Um, that's usually what I tell people or, or, you know, in a nice way, but it's like, oh, this product is terrible, but you guys don't have that. You guys actually have a good service and it's meeting a need in the market. Um, and it's just getting the word out that, that you do. That. And, and, and that's another thing that, you know, we've had a similar problem in the past too, where someone comes to us with this idea that they, they spent years working on it and, and they're retiring and they're ready to do this. Right. And they come to us to get design help because we do a lot of design work too. And we look at it, it's like, man, this, is, this isn't going to work the way you think it is. <laughs> like, yeah, I know, I know you, you put a lot of effort into this, and I respect that. And I love that you're doing that, but this is not exactly going to work the way you think it is. Or, and it could be your bill materials cost is way too high. Or uh, you're, you're looking for a technology that simply doesn't exist uh, or things like that. Um, yeah. Exactly. We can't, we, I can't help you. Like I can't, I can't help you market this thing. I can't help you build a thing that defies the laws of physics. Right. 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 Um, and that's, it's hard to, to tell people that, you know, because this is their dream. You're kind of, you know, you're not destroying it, but you're trying to just bring them back down to, to ground level, uh, and explain, you know, it can't be done for this cost or, you know, whatever the scenario is. Um, uh, and you're, you're always hoping that that doesn't turn into negative feedback towards the company. Hey, they wouldn't help me because X, you know, or whatever. Um, and you just always got to think about that, you know, hopefully that you keep away from that negativity and because you don't want that happening. <laughs> but sometimes yeah. it does. Yeah. And, and, and like there, there are, you know, nice, graceful ways to deal with that. Because on one hand, like you don't want to build them a bad product. Um but, and then a lot of times I find that the people who come to you with ideas like that, nobody can help them. So right. exactly. It's, it's, it's almost, it's almost like you have to nicely fire them as a customer. You have to be like, I don't think I can help you with this guys. You know, uh, 
you know, I, I don't want to say foist them often to somebody else, but like if you think there's somebody who knows who can help them that, you know, maybe you guys don't have RF experience and you're like, uh, we don't have the experience with this, but you know what, talk to, you know, my good friend Chris Gamble, who's got all this RF design experience, maybe he can help you with this, right? Like legitimately adding value to them and admitting that like, I can't help you with this, or at least I can't help you with this right now is a good way to move some of those customers off of your plate that you can't help. Um, I, I wouldn't hand something to a friend that I think is a bad product, but you know, in some cases it's kind of like, ah, I can't help you with this right now. I'm so sorry. And just pfft, you're done. Um, right. That way it's, it's, you know, you're, you don't want to create bad blood. Um, but a lot of times people who come with you with crappy products, they're, I don't know if anybody can help them. I don't know if they're like, oh, we're going to talk bad about cyber city circuits because people are like, yeah, but they, they, you know, eh, eh, just, I always say be nice about it, but there is nothing wrong with firing customers. Right. Um, so the other thing I, I, you know, cause Harris and I brought this up a couple of times. I, you know, good web page, good, good, good Twitter page. Um, I, the only thing I would recommend is tweaking how you, you know, try to imagine going to your page or your Twitter feed as somebody who may, might be interested in electronics and you're just trying to figure out what these cyber city circuits people do. Um, I'll, my, my feedback for that is I land on your page right now, and I know we've talked about this before, um, is that like you look like SparkFun. You look like Adafruit. You look like someplace I'm going to go and buy, or like Tindy, right? I'm going to go here and I'm going to buy electronics because that's the majority of it. Now, you guys did put up the like, hey, we did the PCB assembly thing, so I could click on that and learn about it, which is great. That's a, that's a you know awesome first step, easy to do, um, and it depends on where you want to take the business ultimately um, because I think right now with limited time with only you know three people in the shop, um, is the focus on selling electronics and these kits because how you structure your page, how you structure your content is going to look very different than we provide PC or uh, excuse me, um, PCB assembly. You know, right. we want to be a contract manufacturer. And when somebody lands on your page, when somebody views your social media site, um, having a split focus is really, really hard. Um, until you're a big enough company that you can afford to do such a thing where you can have multiple pipelines, but, um, focusing on what you want that to look like. And, and that might be, once again, that comes down to marketing and trying different things. Um, that's where you get into whole A-B testing, which is a pain in the butt to set up, but you learn a lot by doing something like that. Um, but think about that experience um, and how you want, like, what what is your primary driver for your business? Is it is it selling electronics? Is it selling electronics? Is it CM? Is it both? Is it is it, you know, doing what, Tindy fails to do, and that is provide the CM and um, warehousing and shipping aspects of things. And like, you know, we want to be the better Tindy where you send us a design and there's a, and people buy from us and you get percentage sales. So I think, you know, figuring out where that is for most people, or excuse me, what drives your most business. And that might be, that might not be what drives the business. What you might find is that people spend the most money with you when they come to you with the design and they want the boards back. Just being a pure CM might be the most money. Um, and that doesn't mean you can't offer those services, but I think focusing on one when you have, you know, so little time to split among three people um, is going to be your best bet. Harris, your thoughts on that? No, I agree. I don't have a lot to add to that. That makes sense. Okay. David, what do you think about that? I think, I mean, it's, it's hard. Uh, and, and like Sean said, you know, having a split focus is difficult and uh, we uh, building a, a web presence as a contract manufacturing is uh, is very intimidating, right? Because you have to put a lot of time, a lot of effort into building like a PCB rendering tool. For example, that's something that we did 
uh, so because we're trying to build a web page where you can automate ordering, right? Uh, like other people, like other competition, uh, U.S.-based manufacturers do. Uh, but then you're losing that time, and that's time that you don't know that you're going to get a return on, and it's a lot of time. Uh, and that's if you don't hire someone else to do that specific work. Um, in which case, you might pay a couple thousand dollars, and you have zero idea if you're going to get return on that money. Um, so it's very intimidating, but you're absolutely right. You're not wrong. Um, and going about that, we it's it's difficult. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're in that transitional stage to where we're, like you say, we're we're an electronics distributor, but we're also a manufacturer. So what? has brought money in and kept us afloat so far has been a combination of both of them. Um, and by spending time on the distribution side and being able to automate as much as that as possible has given us the time to look at the CM side, to try to start developing that end out. And we're just not far enough along yet, uh, to have the presence of both of them. But I think that's the ultimate goal. I think David might agree with me mm -hmm. is to eventually have, where our retail store basically kind of runs itself, uh, even if we hire a manager or you know we, we promote in-house or something like that just to run that side of the store uh, or that site, we, we also have the contract manufacturing going at the same time. And, and it's just two different avenues. It's two different streams of revenue uh, that are almost totally separate from each other. And, and, and so to phrase it a little differently, because Chris is right too, is that we're an online e-commerce platform that also does contract manufacturing where we want to be a contract manufacturer that also has an e-commerce platform as a, as a side thing. Because that's that's what it is. You know, the e-commerce pays the bills. It, it makes sure that we always have an office to work out of, that we always have electricity in the office. We always have payroll to pay our employees. Um, but we does that make sense? Yeah. And then so like you, you want to flip the site eventually to be like, hey, we're a CM and then, you know, right. here's our storefront. Um, but for right now, like it's what paying the bills. So you're it sounds like you're a little nervous to change it because people are coming on there and buying stuff to pay your bills at the moment. And that makes total sense. And I think that um, I think there is a way to manage that for the time being so that you don't lose it. So like you've got the did you know we do PCB assembly up top? Um, I think, you know, maybe doing a banner or some other things on the site. Um, I also think looking at how many people are landing on cyber, cyber city, excuse me, cybercitycircuits.com are, are, you know, where do they click? Like doing, if you can dig right. into like Google analytics or something and just figuring out like, um, do they even land on that site at all? Do people coming to that site? Cause sometimes it's like, oh, they're actually landing on this blog post and then they click on the storefront. They never come through the homepage. What the hell? So like, right. Digging into some of that to figure out like what people are doing, um, can be very handy. So if people are landing on that homepage, having something that's like bigger in your face, that's like, Hey, we do CM, you know, and just continue to experiment with like, right. You've got the thing up there. Maybe there's something on the sidebar, whatever it might be. Um, that people can click on that says like, oh, we do this now. Um, but I, it sounds like your Twitter game, you know, you, you know, as we, as Harris and I are talking about, it's an experiment over and over again. It's experiment and learn from it and build on it. You know, not just throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks, but like actual deliberate experimentation to see what's working and, um, learning from that, implementing strategies that reflect that you've learned it, not just continue to throw spaghetti because that, that won't result in much. Um, but 
Like, it sounds like your Twitter game is really good with, you know, com- you know, some of these leads. So explore that and compare it to, you know, something new for a couple of months. Maybe that's email, um, cold or cold calling or cold emails, whatever it might be. See what, if you can get a few new business, um, a few new customers that way and see what works. But it's, it's a long game. You know, you're playing a long game to develop a business pipeline like this. Right. Absolutely. It's, it's a very long game. And, and that's, you know, intimidating too, because you don't know what next month's going to look like necessarily. Um, and yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I hate to say, I wish there was like, if there was like an easy thing to be like, oh, you can just, you know, build a business and make, pull in money in a month. Like everyone would be doing this. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the hardest part is just letting people know you exist and then for us is letting people know that we also do contract, man- that we really want to also do contract manufacturing with them. Right. Uh, and so that's the hardest part. Like a lot of people know we exist. We have, uh, we ship probably about 150 packages a month through our e-commerce platform and, and that's going. So now we do need to move uh, a strategy and focus to that contract manufacturing part because the store uh, has the, it gets the monthly attention that I think it needs. It probably could use a little bit more, uh, but then we can take, uh, move some of that focus to the contract manufacturing side. Uh, yeah. You've given us great uh, feedback, great tips. I got tons of notes. <laughs> uh, you probably Excellent. see me writing constantly. Yeah. I, any other questions for us? Because I, I know we're up against like an hour and a half here, which is, you know, quite a long recording for us. But uh, this has been a lot of fun. Any other questions for us before we uh, sign off here? Uh, I, I have some closing thoughts that I like to tell your audience. Sure. <laughs> uh, so um, as someone that's been trying really hard for probably about the past five years to get where I am now, and I'm still trying hard so that five years from now I can be where I want to be. Uh, I like to leave your audience with two things, two concepts, uh, believing in dreams can ease burdens. Don't give up on your dreams because it does make life easier. Uh, and two, not every idea with wings can fly, but you don't know if you don't take the risk. So, so don't be afraid to take risk. Everything's scary, uh, especially when it's new, uh, but you get better at it over time. You don't have to do it tomorrow. You can take five years building your yourself up to it uh and then take the leap uh don't don't just take the leap you know put in preparation education and education (laughs) um and just take the time to do that yeah good words there thank you david you're welcome thank you all for the time thank you for uh letting us on your podcast and and um meeting with us and and giving us feedback and giving us ideas you gave us months worth (laughs) worth of work uh which is good um and we we're very grateful thank you very much you're welcome thanks for being on the show with us i i hope that you know we chat again in, in maybe a couple of months and uh i i i will say that in a couple of months i the, the homework assignment is we we hope you've got a an idea of who your persona is we can chat about that and to see if you've tried anything and has it worked with that persona well yeah awesome. excellent harris any last words Thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, hey, folks, check out Cyber City Circuits. 
Yeah, definitely go check them out. If you need a CM for upcoming badge life, once we can go back to conferences, right. please, please, please use these guys out of uh, out of Augusta, Georgia. Go to CyberCityCircuits.com and use them to make your badges. That will be awesome. And and I'm also on Twitter at Make Augusta. Um, and, and we really appreciate it. DMs are always open. So yeah, hit them up. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and share the show. Let us know what you think on Twitter at Hello Blink Show. Find show notes at HelloBlinkShow.com. The Hello Blink Show is shared under a CC BY 4.0 license by Skull Riza LLC and Kenny Consulting Group LLC. The intro and outro music is Routine by Amin Maxwell and is shared under a CC BY 3.0 license. This song can be found at SoundCloud.com slash Amin Maxwell slash Routine. <laughs> <laughs>